Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, it's great to be back with you. I want to say hi to everyone up in Fort Perry and at Bowmanville and anyone listening online. Uh, I'd like to welcome you today. Uh, today is the last in our summer series called Heart and Soul. This whole summer, we've been focusing on the stories of encounter and conversation and conversion. And we as a church family have been looking at the stories of how many people throughout the scriptures met God and started walking with God through Jesus. And in this summer, if you've been with us, we've heard the grand stories of encounter, not only throughout holy history, but we who have been speaking this whole summer from inside and outside of C4 have been sharing our own stories of conversation and conversion and encounter. And our hope, of course, and our prayer was for many of you that are joining us who are skeptical or seeking, you could find yourself within these old or new stories and actually encounter the one you have been created to know. And for many of us who have already met Jesus already, we also could see and be reminded how each one of us met Jesus. We could celebrate what he's done, what he's going to do, and where he's going to take us. But we also could learn how to speak into the lives of so many other people. And what a ride it's been if you've been with us, from Paul and Timothy, Nicodemus, Peter, the gathering of the very first church in Acts 2, the Samaritan woman, a thief on the cross, a lost son, an outcast woman, from Sunday school teachers to parents to Salvation Army officers walking into jail cells with Jesus, from Alpha in London, from food and conversation in India to youth groups and youth pastors, the goodness and the beauty and the power and the hope of the gospel and the profundity of Jesus has been on display all summer long. And we can clap to that. It's a good thing. And yet, as we have heard and seen the great work of God through Jesus and through his people, there is something that is always lurking beneath the surface in every human heart, especially in our culture, but especially in a community of faith like C4. We as a culture are so weary of heroes We always say, yeah, but what's really behind the story? Well, that was a great story, but we'll see in the long term. We actually have been programmed in a a postmodern culture to always be suspicious first, to be weary and jaded, to expect to be disappointed every single time. We look around at the larger social media-driven narrative, the louder story, and the repeated pattern we keep hearing is there is no truth, or truth really isn't truth. Multiple people that we trust are living double lives, lying without consequence. In the last few months, many, many Christian leaders, both Protestant and Catholic, have fallen and been exposed in the most awful and evil of ways. We've seen entertainment icons go down, politicians from both sides, and then we know our own hearts, our own families, and our own workplaces. So even though that we have been celebrating all the time, if we have an honest moment, we are being pulled in two directions, hope and hopelessness, inspiration and suspicion, wanting to believe and have faith, but wondering if we really can because everyone we trust in or in the long term, everyone we look up to is broken or actually publicly falls. So as we end this summer series... And as we get ready to step out as a church in multiple locations to actually do things we have never done in our history, we need to one last time go back to the source 
We need to go back one last time and hear the truth that is stronger and more enduring and more loving and holy than all the stuff that we continually wrestle with. So today, I'd like to start in a passage that you've heard from already. Both Sunder and Joanna, and then I found out later this week, even our young adult community when they had their retreat were pulled to this passage. And this happened without any of us speaking to each other. It seems that this passage is truly given to us by the Holy Spirit for this season. So if you've got a Bible physically or virtually, would you turn back once again to Luke 5? We won't end there, but we're going to begin there. Hear the word of God today. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake in Galilee... The people were crowding around him, and they were listening to the word of God. Now, if you read the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, this is the first time that that phrase, the word of God, is introduced and used. Well, what's going on? Well, Jesus is talking about himself. Jesus is talking about the kingdom, the reign and rule of God, what Jesus has come to introduce, who he is, and now everything can change, must change, and will change. As Joanna pointed out last week, he's speaking to large crowds because at this moment now Jesus is getting famous. He's healed multiple people, done multiple deliverances. He's even healed Simon Peter's own mother-in-law. So the crowds are gathering, maybe hundreds, maybe thousands, pushing, pushing closer and closer. And there is now no room for Jesus on this lake. Now, just to translate this, because I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we miss the intensity of the moment. Let me give you a modern equivalent. It would be like if Drake or Ed Sheeran walked into a public mall like Pickering Town Center without any announcement, just started walking through the mall within seconds and moments because the culture we live in, there would be Instagram stories. And then what would happen? Hundreds and then thousands of people would descend on the mall and beginning to yell and touch. See, this was Jesus's life day in and day out. But Here's the difference between Jesus and someone like Drake. Well, there's a lot of differences, but let me tell you one specific, and it's this. See, someone who's in the entertainment industry might be good-looking. The Bible says Jesus was not good-looking. The entertainment industry, they might be profound at their art, but when someone encounters Jesus, they are changed forever. People get healed, people get delivered, people get changed. Entertainment cannot give what Jesus gives. That's why the crowds were intense. And by the way, that is why the crowds had every generation represented. Well, Jesus lived this and expected this, and it says that he was at the water's edge, and there were two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Now, this is why history matters. I've been in church since I was born almost 43 years ago. I have heard this story a thousand times, but I never caught this till this week. Now, these nets, historians tell us, are called trammel nets. They're made from linen. Historians tell us you always needed two to four people to wash them and work them, just like we see here. Again, the Bible is full of historical accuracy. But then, not only did I learn that, something more profound I learned this week, and it's this, that these nets were designed only to be used at night. These nets were never used. There was a different group of nets used by the day, and these were designed for the night. Why? Because the fish could not see these nets at night, but the fish could totally see these nets during the day. These nets were never used in daylight, ever. So Jesus gets into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon Peter, asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down, and he taught the people from the boat. So Jesus preaches. The crowd listens. The word of God is spoken by God in flesh, and the crowd does not truly know who's in front of them. 
And as he finishes, he does not look to the crowd. He looks to Simon. He just looks at him. And then he actually chose this boat, as we found out, for a reason. And I love what Sender said a few weeks ago. And then Jesus utters the dumbest, most embarrassing, most epic fail workplace faux pas possible. Simon, let's go out to deep water and let's, down our net, let's put down the nets for a catch. Now, Sunder brilliantly talked about this. Simon is a, is a professional fisherman. His dad was a fisherman. His dad's 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 dad would be a fisherman. This guy knows everything about fish, the lake, the nets, the condition. This isn't head knowledge. He could do this in his sleep. It runs in his blood. And now Jesus, who's a carpenter's son and a religious rabbi, says, let's go fishing in the middle of the day with nets that are designed to only work at night. It's going to be great. Emoji, smiley face, thumbs up, firecracker. Now catch this, because this is so important. Every summer, my family, we, we basically go and live on an island in the Bay of Fundy. And we live basically in little fishing villages with 600 people, and they're all lobster fishermen. The real deal. And I've got to know them over the years because I go there every summer. It would be like me going to them, John Thompson, and saying, listen, guys, I know it's, you guys are expert lobster fishermen, but I found these two little nets. Could we go out? I think you're going to get the largest lobster catch ever. They would be like, go back to Toronto, you lots of fun words. If you're a computer engineer, it's like me walking up to you and saying, listen, I know you're having problems. Could you just give me your device? I know the coding's bad, but just put in one, two, three, four. All will be resolved. It's like going to a plumber and saying, uh, you just need duct tape. Really? <laughs> going to an artist and saying, listen, I know you've been struggling with your last four paintings, but if you just put the color in burnt sienna in all of them, it will all be resolved. Simon answers, master, <clears throat> we've worked hard all night. I'm being kind to you. We haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. I'm sure as they were rowing out, Jesus was smiling, sun tanning. He knew this was all going to work out. So when they did so, they caught such a large number of fish, the nets began to break. So, so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come, and, and they filled both boats, and they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. This is not some formal Jewish expression used for people of renown. This is not some polite political title. Peter at this moment calls him Lord. This is the same name used for God in Greek in the Old Testament. Peter knows Jesus is more than teacher and it is just starting to dawn on him that Jesus might even be more than a prophet. And in the presence of Jesus, seeing the power of Jesus expressed in his teaching, healing his mother-in-law, and now this miraculous impossible catch, he then utters the most profound most needed, most honest, most life-freeing words any human being in any context can ever utter. I am a sinner. Yeah, I've broken God's laws. Yep. I'm not holy, correct? I'm separated from God and sinful. Yes, I'm unworthy. It is true. I need a savior. Yes, I am undone. Yes, I have nothing to offer. Correct. I have nothing to bring. It's true. I am so undone because I am so different than whatever is in front of me. I can just utter these words. By the way, just we'll park here for a moment. What happens when you encounter God for real? Not in some like fake way or you're going to chapters and get some self-help. No, no, when you encounter God in all of his holiness, 
What happens when a human being, no matter where they come from, realize they have fallen short from the glory of God? What happens when they realize sin is real? When we begin to acknowledge that we have trespasses to places we're not allowed to go, that we have spiritual debts that we cannot pay off? Well, this is what happens when any human being encounters God in his otherness and his holiness and his glory. Right at that moment, they will also discover God is love. God is holy love. By the way, if you know your Bible, some of you do. Some of you are going, why have I, why do I know this story? Well, yes, it's been preached twice this summer. That's not why. Why does this feel familiar? Why does the pattern feel so right? Oh, because by the way, this story is directly connected to one in the Old Testament and most of us miss it. 740 years earlier, this thing happened already. Isaiah encounters God. Isaiah 6, 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. What does Isaiah say in God's presence? Woe to me, I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, sinner. I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then God says back, your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of God saying, whom shall I send? Whom will go for us? And, and, and Isaiah says, here I am, send me. This is always the pattern of encounter, that God in his holiness encounters us and we are undone, and when we are undone, we are put back together by him, and then we are sent out to tell others there is good news. Back to the fish, back to the yelling, back to the whistling, hundreds of fish, the net snapping, the hauling, the astonishment, back to the literal loss of boats and the possible literal drowning in success. It says that Peter and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish. So was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Oh, and then Jesus said to Simon, oh, don't be afraid. Oh, by the way, isn't that great when God always says that to us? Don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to fish for people. Now, I've heard this phrase thousands of times. I will make you fishers of men or fishers of people. I've heard it twice this summer, but I never, ever caught what it truly fundamentally meant until I actually looked it up in the original language. Because this is actually what Jesus says to Peter. This is how it reads in the original vernacular. Simon, you are going to go catch people alive. Simon, you're going to go capture people and snare people alive. Now, some of you fish, and you know that fishing is a sport and you can catch and release, but fishing at its heart is this. You want to lure something to its death to eat it. And yet amazingly, when it comes to the supernatural, when you get lured and caught and snared by God, it brings you what? Life. But here's the thing we've all got to sit on today. You die if you remain uncaught. Jesus says to Peter, you're going to spend your life catching people and bringing them to life. Well, it says in verse 11, they pulled up their boats to the shore. I'm sure maybe they sold off some fish. They left everything and they followed him. They become disciples and they follow Jesus Christ. But see, we can't just stop here because Jesus isn't done calling. You just can't stop with Peter and John and James. There's more calling to do. And the next part of the story is not found in what we call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The next part of the story is actually found in the gospel of John in the first chapter. You can turn there real quick if you want. It's in verse 43. 
It says that later, Jesus finds Philip. And when Jesus found him, he says to Philip, follow me. Now, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the same town. So notice again, Jesus seeks Philip out. Philip already knows about Jesus. He's seen all the amazing things. He's heard the amazing things. Now Jesus shows up and Philip follows him and becomes his disciple. Philip says yes. He was so excited he needed to tell others. He's now been personally called by Jesus. And as we'll talk about in a few weeks, this is the reverse of all Jewish thinking on rabbi and disciples. You ask a rabbi. Rabbis never ask you. Jesus says, Philip, you come follow me. Now changed by the very presence of Jesus, he now runs to go find his friend named Nathaniel. He's also called Bartholomew in the scriptures. Now Nathaniel, unlike Peter and unlike James and unlike John and unlike Andrew and Philip, had not heard about Jesus but he knew his Old Testament really well. So Philip runs up to his longtime friend and shares something he was not expecting at all that day. It says that Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in, in the law and whom all the Jewish prophets spoke about. His name is Jesus. He's from Nazareth. He's the son of Joseph. This is it. We've been waiting thousands of years for the Messiah to come. The one that the whole Old Testament was a foreshadow preparing us for. This is the fulfillment of our whole Jewish faith. And Philip was so excited to share this. You ever been in a situation where you are so excited to share something with someone and the reaction you get is not what you were expecting? They don't share your excitement Ever been to a place like a restaurant and you're like, oh my goodness, this burger has changed my life. And you go tell people like, eh, it's like when I go to California with In-N-Out Burger. And people are like, if you eat this, the heavens will open. I'm like, okay, I'm good with heavens opening. So I go to In-N-Out Burger. It has verses on the back. It can't be that bad. And I ate it and it was good. I said to my California friends, this is good. They were like, oh, what do you mean good? This is like from God. I was like, it's okay. See, they couldn't understand. It's like my son. My son just turned seven and, and he loves Lego. And I like building actually Lego more and more with my son. But he is obsessed by Minecraft Lego. And, and so I am lost with Steve and diamond armor and I don't understand. And he sits intensely speaking to me like I preach. He preaches about Lego, every part, what it means. And I have to use all my dad power to look like I care and listen deeply. Because in my heart, I'm like, mm, I don't care about Steve. Sorry, son, watching 20 years later. I love you. <laughs> so Philip comes and says, I have found the Messiah. And Nathaniel's response is this, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Now, why? Well, Nathaniel's hometown is Cana. It's four miles away from Nazareth, and we find out historically there was a rival between them. Problem one. Problem two, Nazareth is not a famous city. It's insignificant. It's like announcing God has showed up in the middle of nowhere. And third of all, what you really begin to find when you dig is Nazareth was actually hated by a lot of Orthodox Jews because Nazareth was really close to another place called Sephorus that actually ha housed a Roman garrison. So Nazareth had regular occupational soldiers milling around there. So you've got vice and violence and occupation and immorality and idolatry. I love, it was Chuck Swindoll years ago who was preaching on this, who simply said, it would be like announcing to the world that the son of God was born in Las Vegas and we need to go find him. We'd be like, Vegas, really? 
Did you spend too much time there? No way. Philip's response is so brilliant. No big Twitter battle, no big fate. No. Come and see. I got nothing to prove. Oh, I know when he shows up, you're going to be just fine. So it says that they went and saw him. And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of Nathanael, Oh, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now, I don't think any of us probably here catch the power of this statement. This would speak volumes to any Orthodox Jew of that day or this day. Why? We've got to go back to history one more time. Jacob was the father, or one of the fathers of the Jewish nation and faith. He has 12 sons. His 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. And God changes Jacob's name to Israel. But here's the famous thing about Jacob. Jacob was a liar. Jacob was a manipulator. Jacob was a scam artist. Jacob was full of deceit. Here's how this reads again in the original statement. Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no Jacob at all. How do you know me, Nathanael said to Jesus. Oh, Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under a fig tree before Philip called you under the direction of the Holy Spirit using a gift called words of knowledge. Jesus says, oh, I know you and I saw everything before I came. You were sitting under a fig tree. Can you begin to feel the shock of Nathaniel? The eyes opening wide, the mouth drops, the inner thoughts racing. Oh, there's more here, by the way. A fig tree in the Bible was a symbol for Jewish peace. The fig tree in the Bible also is a symbol for your home. And fig trees also can just be fig trees. Why does that matter? If you read something called the Talmud, which was a collection of Jewish scholarly writings on living a godly life, right in the middle of it, it encourages Jewish men who love God and are committed to God to read the Bible under a tree once a day for inspiration. In other words, this was the call for a devotional life with God, to sit under a tree and ponder God's word. And so this is exactly what Nathaniel was doing. He was doing his devotions like all good Jewish men did once a day. And Jesus comes, and this is what he's implying. I have come not only into your place of study, I am going to become your place of study. I have not just come into your place of peace, I am going to become your peace. I have come to make me your fig tree, and you're going to sit under me and learn. And I am going to become your new home. Whoa. That is why Nathaniel says these crazy next words. Rabbi, you're the son of God and you're the king of Israel. This is a total overstatement unless Nathaniel is beginning to understand and missing, not missing what we miss. He says, yeah, you're a teacher, but you're more. You're the son of God. Which, by the way, in an ancient Jewish statement means you are equal with God, which is a declaration of equality with God. And he says, oh, you're the king of Israel. The only other times in Luke that phrase is used is when the crowds welcome Jesus into the city and when Jesus is crucified and he's called king of Jews. But why does it really matter here? Because this is a title exclusively given to God in the Old Testament. And Nathaniel says to this 30-year-old carpenter's son, you have the same title as Yahweh. And Jesus says, you believe because I told you I saw you sitting under a fig tree? Oh, you're going to see greater things than that. Very truly, I tell you, you're going to see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You're like, what in the world is Jesus talking about? Oh, let me tell you, this is why Jacob matters. 
2,000 years just before this moment, Jacob had just stolen his older brother's birthright by lying to his father, his dying father. In Jewish culture, in all ancient cultures, the oldest son got everything. He just swindled the inheritance. Now his brother is trying to murder him. He's running for his life. And this swindler, liar, manipulator who loves spiritual things is so exhausted that somewhere under a scary Assyrian sky, he uses a rock as a pillow. He has nothing. And in that moment, this is what happens to him. And Nathaniel knows Jesus is quoting this, and Jesus knows it too. It says in Genesis 28, 12, and Jacob dreamed. And the stairway was set on the ground and it reached all the way to the sky. Notice the phrase. And the angels of God were ascending and descending, going up and down on it. Then God was right before Jacob saying, I am God. The God of Abraham, the God of your father, the God of Isaac, I'm giving the ground on which you're sleeping to you and your descendants. Jacob woke from his sleep and said, God is in this place. And I did not even know it. And Jacob was terrified and he whispered in awe, incredible and wonderful, holy. And then he says, this place is now called Bethel, God's house. This is the gate of heaven. And here's what Jesus is saying to Nathanael. Oh, you think what Jacob experienced was amazing? Life-altering, identity-affirming, name-changing? That was only a foreshadow of what's happening to you at this moment. Oh, and the gap between heaven and earth where angels go back and down from, listen, it's there because of sin, and I am about to become the bridge back. The angels will ascend and descend on me. You can't make it back. Religion can't give you a way back. Angels cannot help you. I'm the only bridge. I am the God of your ancestors. Nathaniel, as you enter into a relationship with me, your vision will broaden. I will move heaven and earth for you. Like Jacob, I will give you a new name and a new purpose and a new identity, and I'm going to do all of this for you because I love you. I am going to move heaven and earth for you, Nathaniel. And you, Nathaniel, you are about to become Bethel. You are about to become a place where God's very presence dwells because I'm going to give you my spirit. And Nathaniel begins to follow Jesus. But here's where we need to end. These three stories, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel, significant, poignant, interesting epic. But what we must never lose sight of is that they are not the center of the story. Today, like all summer long, the one person that ties every biblical story together and every story of every speaker this summer is Jesus. And not a Jesus you invent in your head, the Jesus of Scripture. And we must keep looking to him, being formed by him, and this matters more and more in our 24-hour, non-stop, information, gluttony experience. As our world feels like it's ripping apart, the right becoming more right, the left becoming more left, no middle ground, when people say that we live in a post-truth era, when leader after leader after leader is falling, we must do this as people. We must look to the only constant. We must look to the author and perfecter of our faith. And why are we all so attracted to Jesus? Why is he so profoundly attractive? Why are we drawn to him, even seekers and skeptics? Why? Because Jesus embodies not what our culture calls love. He embodies biblical love. Let me just remind you, Jesus is patient. 
He extends forgiveness to us time and time again. Jesus is kind. He never gives us what we deserve because he already dealt with that on the cross. Jesus doesn't envy because he actually is better and he knows better. Jesus has no need to boast and Jesus is never proud because he's already demonstrated that meekness is where real power is found. Jesus is not rude because he has nothing to prove. He's never, think about this, Jesus is never, is never motivated by competition or fear of himself, God, or anyone else. He is free unlike all of us. Jesus is never self-seeking. Jesus does not keep a record of wrongs. Everything that we've done against God, he in grace decides not to hold against us because of his work on the cross, if you accept it. Jesus is not easily angered. That's really true, by the way. He doesn't flip out every time we miss the mark. Jesus literally hates evil. He loves good. He protects. He's full of hope. He's fully trustworthy, and Jesus never gives up. So we must, as literally, politically, and socially, and relationally, everything seems to become undone. And when people that we trust in and love and respect don't live up even to a biblical standard, let alone our own standard, which is right and wrong sometimes, we have to come back and remember, Jesus is the only constant. He is the only faithful one. He's the only one who gets us through. Don't take your eyes off Jesus. Because if you do, There's another story in the Gospels where Peter walks on water for how long? And when he looks at the waves, he sinks like a rock. We must root our faith and our hope and our identity and our life in Christ. Now here's the other amazing thing from these two stories that are blended together. In Peter and Nathaniel, we see the Gospel from beginning to end. Jesus, by the way, always starts the process. Even if you think you chose him, he showed up first. Jesus seeks people out to meet. Jesus speaks. And when Jesus speaks, God's word is given. And suddenly, when someone truly encounters Jesus and his word is given, suddenly people begin to realize that Jesus is more than meets the eye. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a man of note or historical weight and gravity. He's not just a religious leader. He actually is the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. He is the son of God. He he is God in flesh. And, And when we meet Jesus, when we truly see Jesus, we understand so quickly that we, doesn't matter who you are, we are sinners, lost, enemies of God, separated, needing help. And when a human being encounters Jesus Christ, who's the fulfillment of God, the fullness of God on earth, and realizes that sin is so real, at this moment when we are undone, the love of God shows right up. And we are reminded, or we are told maybe for the first time today, that Jesus is the only way back. He's the only bridge back home. He's the only one who covers sin. And when we encounter God through Jesus, he changes our name. He makes us the dwelling place of God. And then he begins to prepare to send you out to tell others that there's good news too. By the way, If any person within the sound of my voice, online, on some podcast, sitting at any site, has never said yes to Jesus, at the end of this service, at the end of this service, there will be prayer people here. Come forward and say, as Peter declared it, and as Nathaniel declared it, I want to declare it. I need to encounter Jesus. And if you're online, just through social media, connect with us. But make this the moment where you say, like Peter, I'm a sinner. Or Nathaniel, you are the son of God. And come home. But here's where we're going to end as a whole church. Notice in both stories, Jesus comes after so many different people. 
Fishermen, farmers, religious people, later if you read the Gospels, religious terrorists, tax collectors, the list goes on and on. And by the way, he's still doing it. All around the world right now, in our region, across Toronto, across Canada, in multiple countries, Jesus is calling builders and executives and plumbers and admin assistants and scientists and IT consultants, teachers, politicians, stay-at-home mom and dads, librarians, the list goes on and on. But now as we look forward to our coming year, Jesus clearly, the, in front of us, the gospel absolutely clear. Here's what I'd like everyone to do. Could you everyone close their eyes, please? Don't fall asleep. Could everyone close their eyes? And I'm just going to pray for a second and ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Holy Spirit, would you now come and help us? I want you to think about the person in your life that would never, ever, 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 ever truly come to Jesus in your head. And ask the Holy Spirit to bring that person to your head. They could be an apathetic person who has no need for God. They just don't care in their life. Husband, son, friend at work, cousin. Maybe they're deeply religiously committed to another worldview, a devout Muslim, uh, an ardent Buddhist, uh, a Wiccan witch. They may even like Jesus, but they would never say he's the only way to God or the son of God. Or maybe they're an intellectually against person because of Christianity's view on sexuality or, or, or on his existence. Maybe they're an intellectual atheist or agnostic. And they're like, no, they would never accept Jesus or our worldview because intellectually it violates what they hold. Or maybe they're a person who grew up in church and was hurt by the church or just never encountered Jesus. Now, I want you to raise your hand when you've got the person in your head. Just raise your hand. Don't be afraid. I'll wait for a few more of you. A person, any person. Okay. So let's do this. With that image and that person in your mind, you can lower your hands. Let's now, as we begin our year, start our year by praying that Jesus goes to them. Some of you are like, it's impossible. Right, I know. Nathaniel said, nothing good comes from Nazareth. Peter said, Jesus, I'll be nice to you, but this is the stupidest thing I've ever done. There's nothing here. So let's take a moment right across our whole church and let's pray. Number one, Father and Son, send the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, we're going to bring hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people to you right now. And they've said no to you for many, many reasons. And our request as we begin this year, not out of arrogance, because we think we're better, is Father and Son, send the Holy Spirit to them right now and help them see Jesus. We are praying as a church for literal miracles like fish where there is no fish and overcoming skepticism and jadedness that can only be overcome because of the very presence of God. Lord, hear our prayer. And if you could all open your eyes, I just want to remind you. Your job is not 24-7 to have some massive debate with these people, though good intellectualism is good. Your job is one thing. 
What did Philip say to Nathanael? Come and see. Jesus will always be on. Jesus never changes. He loves that person you thought about more than you do. Died for that person and wants them home. So start praying at this moment and into this year that that person would be the person that God reaches this year. And if they are reached and they come home and we baptize them, you make sure to say, this one was Nathaniel or this one was Simon. And we will celebrate because we will know that our God is not done catching people alive. Amen, everyone. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.